Welcome to The Sword and Staff. I'm your host, Josh Robinson, and joining me on today's episode is my co-host, Richie Brock. And on today's episode, we are going to be having what we are going to either be calling, we don't know what we're going to call them yet, either chinwag episodes or tavern talk episodes. I guess we'll let our listeners decide which name they like the best. But uh, here's kind of the idea for these episodes, right? This is the first one we've ever done. Um, and, and kind of the, the idea for the Chinwag or Tavern Talk um, episodes are this. Uh, we're friends, and friends get together, and they have just normal conversations, right? Absolutely. And that's, that's what a Chinwag really is. It's an informal conversation gathering where you're just amongst friends talking, kind of like what you would have in a pub or a tavern or something like that, yep. right? And um, so that's what these episodes are. So we, as you guys have probably noticed, we have three different types of episodes that we are releasing. The first is our normal, regular episodes, which are longer in length, um, and they're a little bit more structured and formal. Uh, then we have our narrated mini-sode episodes, where Richie and I, uh, we, we contribute content to our blog, and then that gets turned into a mini-sode. And the chinwags are supposed to be more informal just conversational uh, pieces where we talk for, you know, 20, 30 minutes on various topics that we find interesting right now. There's no really any kind of structure to it, just kind of conversation amongst friends, right? So we don't know what we're going to call that yet. We don't know if it's going to be tavern (laughs) talks or if it's going to be called chin wags. You guys let us know what you like the best. If if tavern talks is, is better for you guys, let us know. If you like chin wag better, get, you can get a hold of us on social media. Uh, comment on on our post let us know what you think send us messages or, or whatever uh, let us know your thoughts on that we'll let you guys decide that but so on today's episode the, where we're going to first start at is we're just going to take a minute to just kind of reflect on where we've been with the past two episodes right um, yeah. and uh, the past two episodes we've we had a longer episode on witchcraft uh, an overview of witchcraft which really kind of blew my mind because it had like within 24 hours it had like 50 listens on it almost and which was kind of shocking to me because i don't think we've ever had an episode that that's come out that's been listened to by that many people that quickly yeah so uh that was kind of my first thoughts about it um i was kind of surprised by it uh then after that we had a narrated minisode that i i read which was from a it was an article that i wrote about tolkien and lord of the rings and we initially uh, released that to Sword and Staff subscribers who subscribe to our Substack, uh, and then it was released on uh, a website called The Symbolic World uh, for listeners who aren't familiar with that. If you've ever heard of Jonathan Peugeot and his stuff on symbolism, that's kind of where that stuff gets released at. Really interesting things there. But uh, Richie, kind of looking back, what kind of what are your thoughts on those first two episodes? Uh, the first episode was a learning curve, to put it lightly. Mm-hmm. the note that was the first that was the first yeah. episode you've ever done of a podcast yeah. ever right yeah it was a learning experience for sure yeah no doubt and yeah, I, I took remember... like a ton of notes and <laughs> ended up hanging myself with them that's what being <laughs> over prepared does no doubt and that's a lesson that I learned pretty early on with with preaching like yeah you know, like I would go in with like 20 pages of notes and then I would like hang myself with them. Like I would lose my place and I would basically just read off of them. And, you know, eventually over the years and the more and more you do it, um, I'm not saying that it ever gets easier because I don't think that preacher preaching has ever gotten easier for me. 
like I still get nervous whenever I do it. And I've been doing it for like five, six years now. Yeah. Well, a little bit longer than that. I started preaching before I was a pastor. I've been a pastor for five years now. So I've probably been preaching seven or eight years now. Um, so it doesn't get any easier, but like you, you do get to a point to where you don't have to rely so much on things like notes and stuff like that. So I totally get that. But. Yeah, especially with a topic like the occult. I mean, I could talk about the occult in my sleep. So there was really no reason for me to have notes, but yeah, it's you, yeah. trying to bring order to chaos, right? Like the nerves and, yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I totally understand. Um, that was a fun episode for me, though. Um, I've, I've actually had several people who, like in our local church and that kind of thing, have told me that they've listened to it and that they were really helped by it and that they, there were things in that episode that they had never thought about before, like the stuff that we talked about with say like nominal nominalism and yeah, uh, just kind of how we're, we're, where we ended up where we're at today, like in secularism and that kind of thing. So it was a, it was, it, it seems like that there was some good fruit that came from that. So I'm, I'm really happy with that episode. Um, did, I don't, did, did you get a chance to listen to the, to the narrated mini the Tolkien one? I did. What was your thoughts I on love- that one? I loved it. The music, the background to it. It was, it was pretty good. I remember just in our conversations over the past few weeks, a month, yeah. seeing bits and pieces of that article really come together. Yeah. And then to see it all there in that article for the, the symbolic world, it was, it's pretty good. Yeah. We had a comment from uh, a listener who I know he's a local pastor. His name is Tony Vance. Uh, he commented on it whenever we released it, and he said that it was very Louisian and Tolkienian, and that it was really <laughs> epic. So I was like, "Well, if that's how it was taken, and we hit the mark. There we go. We hit we hit the mark." So Tony Vance, if you're listening, uh, shout out to you. Uh, we appreciate you. So uh, yeah, so we're really happy with that. Um, so all right, so a couple of the things that we want to talk about on this edition of the Sword and Staff um, are a couple movie trailers. Well, I guess one of them's not really a trailer anymore, right? Yeah. One of them's actually a movie that's been released. The first one that we'll discuss is Marvel's Eternals trailer, right? Which had a lot of interesting things going on. Absolutely. With it. Um, and then we'll also talk about the Conjuring, the Devil Made Me Do It movie trailer as well. So it's been released. So it's more than just a trailer now. I don't think that either of us have had a chance to see that. I yet. haven't yet. When did it come out? Did it come out like today it, or? It came out on the 4th, I think. On the 4th. Okay. So yeah. it's been out for a few days now. Yeah. So I'll have to go back and, and watch that. I've seen the other uh, Conjuring movies, but all right. So we'll, we'll just kind of start with the Marvel's Eternal trailer. Uh, so if you guys are listening and if you've not watched that trailer, you need to go back and watch it, right? You can yeah. find it on, on YouTube. It's got millions of views on it already. But, um, man, I had a lot of thoughts as I was watching it. Um, and basically the thoughts that I had was, well, I had a couple thoughts. So the first thought that I had was, wow, whoever wrote first Enoch is going to be really mad because they basically <laughs> took his story and turned it into a movie. Yep. Like that was my first thoughts. Um, and then my second thoughts were, wow, the, the timing of this is really interesting given that there's been tons of uh ufo disclosure in our country here recently like with the the the, you know the the government has actually declassified tons of videos oh yeah it's all in the news right now yeah all over the news right now so but kind of to dive into those that that first point of thoughts my first thoughts was you know in this 
in this uh, trailer, like there's just so much going on. You know, it's kind of uh, there's just a, it's just a trailer of the whole movie, and there's tons going on. But the thing that I noticed was is that you, it starts off and you're you're seeing human beings. They're kind of very primitive, right? Yeah. Um, and then you see like the the, the narrations like we've never intervened in human yep. affairs until like now. And then you see like these, uh, the beings in the Marvel universe called the Eternals, right? Uh, they're kind of these heavenly, heavenly beings, right? Um, and uh, actually, I think that one of them, hold on a second, let me, let me check, check this out. So this is informal. So I've not done any, like, <laughs> I've not done any, any uh, research at all. But I actually think that one of the Eternals is named as Gilgamesh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe, hold on a second. Let me look. Yeah. 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 There is a Marvel character named. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Don Lee is who is playing Gilgamesh in the Eternals. And the interesting thing about Gilgamesh is if you are familiar with the, the Genesis six, uh, flood narrative and yep. it's kind of expansion in first Enoch and what's going on with some of the other uh, writings in the ancient Near East during that time. You, Gil, the name Gilgamesh is going to sound familiar to you and it should. The reason why is because um, there is this, there is another account of the flood out there um, and it's called the Epic of uh, Gilgamesh. And it is a uh, Mesopotamian work, and yeah, it's from ancient Mesopotamia. And basically, it is an account of a worldwide flood, very similar to, to Noah's. And the interesting thing about it, though, is there's some differences, um, and the hero of the story isn't Noah. It's a giant warrior named Gilgamesh. Yep. Well, it, whenever you go back through some of the Dead Sea Scrolls and some of the Second like Temple uh, literature out there, uh, well, not Second Temple literature. Uh, yeah, maybe the Second Temple. I'll have to go back and look. Um, there's actually, uh, I'll have to go back and see. I feel like it was called the Book of, I think it was the Book of Giants was one of the books that was in there. But it's really interesting because apparently the Jews have heard of Gilgamesh. And in one of these, uh, you know, extra biblical writings they actually comment on gilgamesh and they actually say yeah gilgamesh actually comes from the genesis 6 story and he's not the hero of the story he's actually a nephilim who is the product of <laughs> of one of these you know this these relationships between uh you know the sons of god and the daughters of men yeah. and he's not he's not a hero the way that you think he is so it's kind of like setting the epic of gilgamesh straight in the noah story but it's, it's to tie all that back in it's super interesting because in the Eternals trailer, like it's basically taking this pattern and putting it in a film. So you've got these eternal beings kind of coming down and you see them not just coming down, but you see them doing things like bringing them technology. Yeah. Like actually as the movie trailer goes along, you actually see it like it goes from being very primitive to like almost you, you almost end up with what looks like a tower of Babel structure. Yeah. At some point in the trailer. Yeah. The scene with uh, Mesopotamia. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. And so it's, it's just fascinating. It's literally taking like the narrative, you know, of Genesis six, you know, leading up to the Babel account and really putting it kind of in a Marvel 
type of universe. Um, you know, another another one of the things too there is you see them not only bringing technology, but you also see them bringing humans uh, weaponry, showing them how to do weaponry and to make war and stuff like that, right? So there's actually a scene in the trailer where you see one of the uh the eternals giving the uh the humans like a knife it's like a double-bladed knife yep. and man it, it, it reminded me so much of just the narrative in first enoch because you see the same things happening with the sons of god the daughters of men they bring they bring down technology to them right? yep. like the ability to make weaponry uh you know swords and armor and that type of thing but not only do they do that but they they bring to them knowledge that really helps them to destroy themselves, right? Like how to contact other spiritual beings and how to worship, you know, different gods. And they teach them how to do enchantments and, you know, just all of those things. So those were my first thoughts. Like, as I was watching the, the I know that that's a lot, <laughs> but yeah. those were kind of my first thoughts. Richie, did you have any thoughts about it? Oh yeah. The morning I woke up and I saw it. I, Cause I've been waiting for the Eternals for a while now. Mm-hmm. and that's one of my favorite kind of story arcs in the marvel universe yeah so when i saw that the trailer had finally dropped i was really blown away just how it how it starts it's it's a classic retelling of ancient astronaut theory just right off the bat yeah you really see them similar. they just approach primitive man and the first thing they do is they show them how to raise crops and how mm-hmm. to build using technology and forge weapons and it's just a retelling of ancient astronaut theory and the nephilim the nephilim and what they brought to early man in exchange for worship and just a foot and a foothold in the door in the land yeah it's really really interesting things going there so that was so you kind of sounds like you kind of had the similar thoughts that i did yeah and then right after that my next thought was man the the timing of this is really really interesting yeah. giving the given the ufo disclosure like you know it's uh, it's it's almost it's it's interesting, and here's why. Because, you know, had all of this UFO disclosure stuff happened, you know, say 30 years ago, you know, in the 80s, when, yeah. you know, whenever I was born, um, you know, had that happened then, this would have been like the talk of everything. You know what I mean? But we've, we've almost become so normalized to it at this point that, like, whenever the government releases video footage of, uh, crafts like yep. crafts that we do not have the capability of toying with the military you know like we don't even blink at that anymore you know and so it's kind of the same with the eternals trailer you know you it, it comes out during all of the ufo disclosure type stuff and like nobody even blinks twice you know yeah like nobody's surprised by it anymore so i don't know it just seems to me that there's almost kind of like a a normalizing of it kind of maybe preparing people for this being a normal thing. Absolutely. You know? And so I don't know if you've got any thoughts about that that you want to add, but those yeah, are some. The trend today, when, when just in ufology in general, uh, as, as the culture becomes more spiritually minded, as they get away from atheism, they tend to look at the UFO phenomena and the beings associated with it as almost messianic figures right like every time they're presented or they come up they're there to heal and help and guide humanity bring technology bring you out of the stone age so to speak yeah 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 no doubt there's and i think that you see that too like even in the culture right now like for example if you go back and you listen to people like joe rogan and and some of the people associated with that and with him there's kind of this 
narrative that they're going to teach us how to transcend our ignorance as a culture and as a race and, you know, become sort of like them. It's kind of like a secular version. Well, I don't know really if you could call it secular at this point, but it's kind of a different version of the biblical story where we are united to Christ. And then through the process of theosis, um, we become like him, like we transcend uh, our sinfulness and we grow in holiness and in sanctification. And then, you know, one day in the new creation, we're going to, uh, we're going to be changed. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to transcend uh, the th way that things are now, right? We're not going to yeah. die again. We're going to be eternal, you know, those types of things. So you, it's like, you kind of see that similar language, similar language attached to the, you know, UFO phenomenon, right? Like yeah. th these beings are like, I, I saw people, I think it was Jeremy Corbell who did the, uh, the Bob Lazar documentary uh, yeah. not too long ago. Uh, I think that he said something like these beings aren't going to come here while we're still doing our ignorance and things like that. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was somebody else. I can't remember who it was, yeah. but you, you see some, that type of language, right? Like they, they want to come to help us. They want to bring us things from above and they won't. Yeah. There is just this narrative of we need them to help us transcend. Yeah. And one of the, the charter teachings that come from people, even people who've been, who've had abduction experiences is that they, these beings, one of the things they come to help humans with is to evolve past religious dogma. Right. That you see that all the time with people talking about ufology. Yep. Right. Like it's like they're, they're trying to help us come together to coexist and to, which is sort of like the power chain of the new age culture right now. Right. So it lines up pretty well. Yeah. Right. And, and again, this all ties back into the Genesis six sons of God, Enoch type thing, right? Yeah. These beings desire worship, right? Like it's, I think that it's, I mean, to go ahead and show my hand here a little bit and to maybe foreshadow, um, I think that the, most Christians, I think, don't have a category for things like UFOs, right? I think that most Christians tend to just look at things like that and they're like, oh, that, that doesn't exist. Well, it seems to me like there's pretty good evidence that there's something out there that's going Absolutely. on. Like, you can't just ignore uh, declassified videos and documents and witnesses that are showing that military is encountering, our military is encountering something out there. That's not a good way to operate in your life, right? Just ignoring yeah. things and interacting like they don't exist. Um, so I think that's the default position for most Christians. And I, and I would say that you don't have to ha hold that position. No, um, you can actually, there's actually a category for this thing in our theology. And I think it, it ties back into this, this story of Genesis six, that you have these beings from heaven, the sons of God who come down and they interact with creation. Now, I think that they're wearing perhaps different masks now than, you know, yeah, they did that's back what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like people are, are primed for UFOs, right? It's been a yeah. part of our cultural narrative now for several decades. And, um, you know, so I, I could see those types of beings from, from that narrative in the Bible, taking on a new mask and revealing themselves yeah. to humanity because they know that there are people out there who will worship them. 
just like they wanted and they just like they desired in the Genesis six, you know, Enochian story where they were desiring worship. They, you know, they desire, they, they're going to exchange technology and uh, forbidden inverted knowledge that has been inverted and distorted. They're going to trade that for worship, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's idol worship is basically what it is. So, so those are some of my thoughts just on all that, how all this kind of stuff connects in together. So I think it's going to be really interesting to watch as everything unfolds going forward. So yeah. uh, we'll see where that goes. All right. So the next thing that we're going to talk about in this episode, whatever we're calling it again, um, is the new Conjuring movie. The, it's the Conjuring, the devil made me do it. And so oh. this this is going to be interesting, I think. So this is much more your wheelhouse than it is my wheelhouse. And that's because you were involved in uh, paranormal investigation for, I think you said 14 years? 14 years. Yeah. So you, okay. So cards on the table again here. You've been involved with this for 14 years. Um, I, as a pastor, um, I have performed several exorcisms now. Well, I, in baptisms, I'll say every baptism I do is an exorcism because that's typically what they have been in the church. Um, but really one of those has, has went, has, has been one of those events has been interesting. Right. Um, yeah. And so I've, I don't have a ton of experience um, with this type of thing, right? Like you have a lot more experience with it than I do. Yeah, most so, Protestants don't. Yeah, I remember my first, the first case I ever worked. I assisted another team with it was it was a demonic case, and they were asked to come in and document evidence for a local Catholic parish that had one of their members come forward with claims of paranormal activity. So I, I got to see how the operations of that firsthand and that was my first case yeah so for me the way that I kind of got into it was well as a pastor I spent a lot of time uh you know reading theology and church history and things like that and so I happened to come across as I was reading through some uh some of Martin Luther's stuff from the Protestant Reformation um I happened to come across just in the providence of God, that um, whenever Luther, uh, as Luther progressed throughout his ministry, you know, he got rid of a lot of things that he thought were superstitious, popish, you know, ceremonies, that type of thing. Yeah. But it was interesting because I found out as I was reading that one of the things that Luther didn't get rid of were the exorcism yeah. rites that he, yeah. he had had throughout, you know, that had been with the church for, you know, 1500 years at that point. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really interesting right um that luther who one of the, we as protestants we kind of have this picture of luther he's this you know big reformer you know theologian you know doctor of the church kind of thing but um one of the pictures that i didn't have in my mind was luther as an exorcist yeah right and actually he talks about this stuff quite a bit like he actually had dealings um with what we would call now paranormal phenomena like if you go back and read his table talks um he has some he has some writings out there that actually like it's him giving counsel to congregants um of his who were dealing with par what we would call paranormal phenomena going on in their homes like there was uh, one guy i can't remember his name i'd have to go back and look um i've got this documented somewhere so i'll have to go back and find it but there's this one letter that i was reading that he was writing to someone 
and the guy the congregant was dealing with like levitating phenomena happening in his home yep. like something throwing plates at him and things like that you know and so luther was giving him some counsel on that so it's so the thing to me that surprised me was like luther was actually taking this seriously and me being a, a protestant who at the time i didn't realize had been very influenced by modernism um that kind of shocked me you know what i mean i was like yep. wow i can't believe this reformer who i kind of you know who i have an appreciation for thinks that this is a thing and so that kind of led me back through church history. And I was like, wow, it seems to me that like all Christians for, you know, the majority of church history has believed that this was a thing um, and that there was distinctly Christian ways of, of yeah. dealing with these things. So I, I ended up going down that rabbit hole and I ended up taking a lot of those things. First off, it changed my mind, right? I was like, okay, well, yeah, I mean, this makes sense. Like I've been operating as a, as a materialist, uh, you know, kind of deal. And I need to, I need to shed that because that's not the worldview of the Bible. So that was one of the first things that happened. And then one of the second things that happened is that I ended up recovering, um, a lot of those ministerial practices that the church had practiced throughout a lot yeah. of church history. Um, and some of those were the recovery of baptismal rites that come with, uh, which, which was a minor exorcism. So, um, so now every time that we do an exorcism in our local church, it's accompanied with a minor exorcism. We do that for every baptism because, well, that's the way the church has always done yep. it. And we are starting to find out that that's more and more needed as our culture descends into neo-paganism. And Absolutely. So, so, so that's kind of how I got into this. And then, as some of you know, um, I, did a I did a baptism that had a minor exorcism accompanied, which ended up turning into a whole... <laughs> you know, interesting thing. Uh, we won't go into that. Not yet. No. Um, turned into a whole interesting thing. And so that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at today. Right. And so, so you've got a lot more experience at this than I do. I'm kind of a neophyte kind of coming into this. So what, so what were your thoughts on the conjuring trailer? Well, I've, I've followed the work of Ed and Lorraine Warren since I started. I mean, they're really the pioneers in modern paranormal investigation. And everybody usually knows them by their work with things like the Amityville case or right. the infield poltergeist and stuff like that. But really the case that put the Warrens on the map internationally was this case with uh, 11-year-old David Glatzel. The title, The Devil Made Me Do It, it came from a headline in a newspaper. And that was what the world over knew the case by after that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so here was kind of my thoughts as I saw the trailer. Okay. So I, I've, I've went back and I, like I said, I've not seen the movie yet. Obviously nobody's seen the Eternals yet, right? That's not even come out yet. Yeah. Um, so here was my thoughts. So I went back and I actually found that Ed and Lorraine, uh, there's a channel for them on YouTube that kind of documents a lot of their interviews and all of that kind of thing. So I went back and watched some of it. And some of the things that really surprised me was the fact that there was so much evidence for this case that has now been turned into a film like there's so much evidence that you can't ignore the fact that something seems to have absolutely really been happening here right like yeah. so for example like not only was the the person who this movie is about experiencing demonic phenomena right but there were other people involved with this 
what's now is a case that, that the yeah. Lorraine had taken. Um, but there were other people who experienced demonic phenomena as well, right? Like, yeah. so Ed and, Ed and Lorraine, uh, they experienced it. And not only that, but there were also six different priests who was involved in this case. Three of them were local. Three of them were actually sent from the Vatican. Yeah, They were working this case, right? And they experienced phenomena. And then not only that, but you all even had local law enforcement, right, who are working this because there's stuff going on and they're responding to the calls. They are coming out and they're experiencing phenomena, things like things levitating in the home and odd smells. And you have this boy who, um, you know, who is very normal, uh, who has actually been seen by local psychologists and has been said to not have any types of mental illnesses or something like that, which is very important whenever yeah. you're working with demonic, uh, with cases that you think are involving demonic oppression or possession. I found that out. Um, yeah. Very important. So like he's, he's been seen by doctors that's been ruled out. And then there are other outside witnesses working this case that are also experiencing the phenomena. So it, it's, it's interesting because that means that you can't simply just write this off. Right. Yeah. So those were kind of my thoughts as I was as I was watching it. So I'm really interested to see the movie, uh, where the movie goes, and where they. I'm sure that it'll have its Hollywood type, you know, additions oh, yeah. and things to it, right? But um, I think that the purpose that it could serve, I think it could serve some really interesting purposes. Um, you know, maybe if somebody watches it, or if they listen to us, um, they may be intrigued by some of the actual historical parts about the case out there and then that may lead them back to the case and leading them to draw conclusions from themselves right so yeah when you look at it from a paranormal perspective there's just things about the case that are just classic demonology that yeah. the family wouldn't have any idea about and it was the family that noticed it first like um when the haunting presented itself the first thing the little boy when in the movie it shows the famous waterbed scene where yeah. the little boys and they're playing and an apparition appears to him and when he first sees it it's a man he describes wearing a plaid shirt and then later on when he's away from the family and they're back at home he sees the same apparition again but only he sees it in a more full way to reveal what's really there the man's face is burnt he has cloven feet like a deer yeah. they just specifically describe it looking like a deer wasn't it called one maybe that one maybe maybe it was another one but there was so ed warren talks about saying at one point, uh, like he described it as like a kaleidoscope. A kaleidoscope, yeah. Yeah. And then that there was one major one working behind it, which they called the beast. The beast, yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So another thing that I thought was really interesting about this case was the fact that, um, well, just kind of the origins of how it all started, right? Like it's, it happens with uh, the mother and the sister practicing witchcraft. Yeah. And then there's some some taunting that happens, right? Uh, the guy ends up uh, renouncing the 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 whatever spiritual being is at work in this, and then he's afflicted, right? Yeah. Um, so there's uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting how it plays out. Wasn't the guy who's afflicted? Wasn't there a type of uh, an autism or learning disability? I can't in remember. And the eleven year old boy David. Yeah. So it's that's really interesting. Because one of the things that I've learned um, in just in, in ministry and, and following the work that you've done in the field 
is that it seems that the demonic always goes the path of least resistance. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it usually presents itself to people who have been oppressed or who are say weaker than others or who have been through some sort of trauma, that type of thing. You know what I mean? Oppressed people usually are a good place for oppression to happen. Absolutely. You know? And so it's interesting that the first person who experiences phenomena is a younger boy who also has some learning disabilities happening. Yeah. Like classic, you know what I mean? Cla- fits the pattern. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's really just basic apex predator behavior. When you look at the way the demonic operate, I mean, you look at the African Savannah and the predators out there, they don't target the strongest individuals in a herd when they go in for an attack they look for the weakest members the most vulnerable the most vulnerable members and that gets them a foot in the door that's exactly what happens with the demonic yeah yeah that's right and you know another thing that i've learned too is it is it also it's looking for that and it's also just looking for people who are out there dabbling yep right people who are dabbling doing things they shouldn't do maybe they're abusing uh drugs that are going to put you in an altered state of consciousness right easier to manipulate right it's it's, that's exactly right whenever whenever you have those things um present you really have a good opening for something like the demonic to present itself so i would say 90 percent of the cases and i've worked literally hundreds of cases over the years and 90 percent of the demonic cases started off just like that yeah yeah i've seen um, I've seen some things more now, um, now that I have my eyes kind of open to this sort of thing. Like I've, I've come across people before, who, you know, I used to look at and think that they were crazy, you know, and that whole thing who I look back now and I'm like, wow, they probably re- really were experiencing something because I know that they were either dabbling in things they shouldn't have that I didn't think were, you know, were serious at that time or, you know, there was just, it's just, it's just so wild to me now, kind of looking back at some of it. So really interesting. All right. Yeah. And the way that Ed and the priest perceived the 40 plus demons, that's, that's classic demonology as well. When you look at demons, there's rarely, you see a case where somebody will present having experienced one demon, they travel in squadrons like a pack. So that's why they call themselves legion. So there's, I've never heard of a demonic case where it's been a singular demonic entity. It's always been multiple yeah and well and it it makes sense too um because you know in the biblical worldview uh demons unclean spirits they are the spirits of the now disembodied nephilim from genesis 6 right yeah so it makes sense why you would have an entire host of them trying to possess a person right because they are they are seeking re-embodiment because they were once embodied themselves right and that's what the term unclean means like most people were unaware that demons were uh you know the the spirits of the disembodied nephilim uh which are called also in scriptures uh you know the the rephaim and the you know that that type of thing um most people are unaware of that but here's the deal scripture calls demons unclean spirits not because they forgot to wash their hands or to use (laughs) hand sanitizer right they're not unclean because they've not taken a shower right scripture calls them unclean because they are the product of a mixture 
an unclean mixture that should not have happened right between yeah. angelic and human that's that's actually unclean spirit literally means in the original language is bastard spirit yep so that's that's what's going on there and so it, it makes sense to why like you see in passages uh, in scripture i mean why the, number one why they're seeking re-embodiment because they once were embodied and then there's another passage where you know jesus casts out a whole host of unclean spirits and they say cast us into the pigs yep right well you know that makes sense so anyway um so richie you got anything else you want to add to that before we um up? yeah the david glassell was just the first part of the story yeah eventually it goes on to a guy named arnie johnson i think he was the the brother or the fiance husband to one of david's sisters mm-hmm. and during one of the exorcisms they uh Arnie actually challenged the demonic and in classic demonology, right when you're learning about this stuff, you're taught as a lay person to not even engage in basic conversation with the possessed, with any demonic force that's in the house, especially not to challenge it. And they usually leave that to the clergy, but that's what Arnie Johnson did. He got in there and he told the demonic to leave David alone and to come after him. Yeah. And then it does. And then it does. Yeah. Yeah, you have to you have to be trained right to deal with this sort of work, and you have to also have an understanding of how the gospel works in this stuff, right? That that Christ has, you know, not only has He died for our forgiveness for the forgiveness of our sins, um, but He's also in doing so He has disarmed the the rulers and the principalities and the forces of darkness. You know, Colossians two fifteen. Um, you have to be able to be trained to bring those things to bear in situations like this. And most lay people aren't, and especially somebody who's not even involved, you know, like they may not even know that. So you're, yeah. you're literally just giving them an open doorway to come in to oppress you or even to possess you. Um, so yeah, um, not, not a good, not a good thing, right. To, yeah. to, uh, to do. And usually people get it wrong when they think about the demonic, it's not, like it's some monster that comes out snarling with teeth and claws. No. I mean, the demonic, they're cunning. They're, they're very intelligent. And they usually wait for the perfect moment to strike. Absolutely. Like, like they may not, like it may not strike you right now when you're at your strongest, but maybe six months from now, when you're at your yeah. weakest at, at rock bottom, that's yeah, when they a, make their move. It's a gradual wearing away yeah. of the will. You, yeah. you're, you're facing, you're facing spiritual beings that have been around for a long, long, long time. Like we're talking flood era, right? I mean, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. So they have time on their side, right? Yeah. And that's what happened with Arnie. It was a a gradual wearing away at the wheel. I mean, the people around him noticed him becoming more aggressive, just characteristics that weren't his self. And then that was, that was interesting. That was an interesting fact to me. Yeah. Right. Because people, these were people who knew him and have known him for his entire life. And like, he's never been like this before yep. and things would happen to him. And like, he snaps into, you know, like crazed mode. And then he snaps back out of it. And he has no recollection of this, which yeah. is classic demon possession symptom. Yeah. When he snaps back out, he's not even aware that he killed or alleged that, well, he claims that he wasn't aware that he killed his landlord. Yeah. And that guy was, I think his name was Alan Bono. Yeah. Yeah. And from what I understand too, like, so none of this stuff was able to make it to the trial, right? Like, yep. 
sorry to spoil the movie for you <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't actually like they're not able to present this part in the in the case um so from what i understand like the like the priest they were outside of the the courthouse uh willing to give testimony but they were never brought in i don't think the, i don't know if the law enforcement gave testimony on the paranormal phenomena or not but the um, court i don't remember directly i know they wanted to yeah but the court basically just even though you know and you see this part in the even you see this part in the trailer they make you lay your hand on a Bible and swear. To That's what I want to say. Yep. Nothing but the truth. So help you God, even though they, they invoke God in uh, the process of trial, they don't accept the, they don't accept uh, this type of evidence. Right. Absolutely. So, which yep. is, which is a great irony, but the interesting thing is though, from what I understand, he only served a couple of years for that sent for that, yeah. that sentence. Like, I think like two years out of a four-year sentence, I think is what they said. and he's, Something like that, yeah. And from what I understand, too, he has, since then, he has lived a very normal life. Like, yep. had children, no other instances of things like this in his life, which also seems to indicate that there was some sort of phenomenon happening. Yeah, you wouldn't see that if it was anything other than some sort of external outside force that came over him and during the time like if he had some kind of mental illness or something it would develop and progress over the years right. but according to his family he's never had any kind of outburst or anything like that to this yeah. day well you know and uh, you know again too this was something that i brought up too um you know he had been seen by local health people right like psychologists yeah. and he they had even ruled that out yeah. so it it seems to me as an outsider looking in that the evidence is pointing is pointing to the fact that this was most likely a real demon possession case. Now, Absolutely. I, do, I, do I know that? No, I don't know that, but it seems to me that's what the evidence is pointing to. And there is a lot of evidence that you can't just simply ignore. Right. So at the yeah, very when least, you, when you look at classical demonology, this case hits most of the marks to where you absolutely got to take it seriously. Yep. Yeah. That's what I said. There, there's so, there's so much evidence from so many different people in this case that you actually have to take it seriously and go back and check out the case for yourself and draw your own conclusions. But yep. it's, it's simple, something you can't simply sweep under the rug. Right. So, so at the very least people listen to us and they go back and they examine that case and then they get turned on to that type of work and start to take those things seriously. Right. So yep. if that happens, that's a win. Right. So, all right. So this is going to now bring us to the conclusion of today's episode. So again, these episodes are going to be shorter. This one will probably be a little bit longer because we've taken a little bit time to kind of explain the purpose of this episode. And, you know, these are fun. These are fun episodes to me. I mean, all of them yeah. are fun, but this one's really fun because we just get to go down all sorts of rabbit holes on this one. So we yeah. hope that you guys have enjoyed it as well. Um, so as we wrap up, I want to say that today's episode um, is going to serve, I think, as a really nice backdrop for what we're going to be discussing on the upcoming Sword and Staff episode, uh, which is this. We're about to start a series discussing things like spiritual beings, angels and demons, and how things like UFOs, cryptids, like, like Bigfoot, Mothman, yeah. like how all of these things fit into some of these categories and how we as Christians can think about some of these things. I don't think there's anybody else out there really talking about this stuff. So no, we're going to talk our perspective. No, not from our perspective, at least. So we're, we're going to talk about this. 
And so I think that it will be really interesting. I think that today's chin wag or tavern talk should be a really interesting, uh, set a really good backdrop for that conversation. So, Absolutely. All right. You got anything you want to say before we sign off? No, I'm good. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next week. Later. See you guys then.